Revelation chapter 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his bondservants the things which must soon take place, and he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant John, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ all that he saw. Blessed is he who reads, and those who hear the words of the prophecy, heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. Let's have a word of prayer. And thus, Father, we turn to your word, a word that is given to us from you, and a word which we could not know if you had not revealed it to us. And therefore, Father, since it is your word, we would ask this morning that you would give us insight that the Spirit might give us an interpretation, that the Spirit would give us grace to understand what it is that you have written. In Christ's name, amen. All right. Let's do a quick review. What does the word revelation mean? To uncover. To uncover. Or, to put it in the other way, to reveal, right? But it's always interesting that when somebody talks about the book of Revelation, what they want to look at is apocalyptic. And what do we mean by the apocalypse? Anybody? Apocalypse? Culmination? This is what most people mean by when something apocalyptic happens, they mean some catastrophe happens, right? Uh, You hear this in the movies all the time, right? All right. Now, in this book, this is the point. Revelation is the revealing of Jesus Not like his first coming where he hides his glory and comes as a man, but rather where he uncovers his glory and comes as who he is in his fullness and takes his rightful place as ruler of all. Now, if I say that again, in Revelation 1 through 3, 
and in 19 through 22, if that's all we had, the book of Revelation is really simple, straightforward. But unfortunately, we've got these little pesky chapters in between 3 and 19. What do we do with 4 to 18, which sounds like apocalyptic, catastrophic material, does it not? Stars falling from heavens, earthquakes, locusts that look like horses and sting like scorpions, phantasmagorical kinds of things. But this is where, when you get to 19, Christ comes forth as king to conquer. He is revealed in all his glory. So what I did, <clears throat> I looked at Romans chapter 8. And this word, revelation, is used in Romans chapter 8, where the creation groans and suffers. waiting for the revealing of the sons of God. And so, when the sons of God are revealed in their glory, now notice how, what do we mean here by glory? Well, it means that suddenly we come into what God has intended for us to be in the end then the creation is remade into its glory. But until the sons of God are remade, the creation suffers and groans. So what he is doing is he is saying there is a direct correlation between man and the earth. What this one does affects that. All right, let me stop. Are there any questions at this point? Because from here on out, everything I'm about to say is off of this direct correlation between man and the earth. Anybody? No? Okay. Genesis 3. Adam and Eve eat of the fruit. Right? The serpent is cursed because he deceived the woman. When he comes to Adam, what is cursed? 
The earth is cursed because of what Adam did. Again, what did the earth do? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Therefore, you're asking yourself, why in the world does he curse the earth if it's Adam who's done this? Why isn't the curse fall on Adam? Right? From here on out, there is this direct correlation between Adam, that is mankind, and the earth. And what I'm going to try and do is show you a narration of the book of Revelation. If you follow what I'm about to do, you will understand what the book of Revelation is doing. And the other thing is, it sort of takes the mystery out of Revelation, and I apologize about that. Because isn't that what we all want to think, that Revelation is some kind of mysterious ooh, at the end of the book, at the end of this Bible. So, everybody turn to Genesis chapter 6. And I am jumping straight to the end of the notes. So if you look on the back of your notes, at the bottom, you'll see what I'm about to do here. All right, before I start this, a word. The first person who read this book, that is, John writes this book, sends it to seven churches, Whichever person got it in each church and opened this scroll up and started reading didn't have premillennial, postmillennial, dispensational, reformed theology. They didn't have any of that. They had to read it cold turkey without anybody to help them. Can you imagine? Therefore, how did they understand this if I don't have 50,000 commentaries to read? <laughs> well, the only way that they understood it is that this book has to have a connection to both the Christ and to the Old Testament. And that's how they would have understood this. They would have understood that this book has images and stories which are like the Old Testament, and that's what I want to do this morning. Chapter 6. Look at verse 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now again, as I pointed out when we went through Genesis, notice 
good is gone and now there is only evil. So the good that was Genesis 1 and 2 has now been replaced because that's all gone by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and good has been set aside for evil. The Lord was sorry. The Lord repented that he had made man on the earth and was grieved in his heart. The Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals, creeping things, birds of the sky. I am sorry that I made them. So God determines to kill his creatures. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. All right, now verse 11, and this is where we get started on this. Now the earth was corrupt in the sight of God, and the earth was filled with violence. And this is the first thing I want you to understand. The word here for corrupt really means destroyed. Everything that God had intended for the earth has been turned upside down and it has been destroyed. This word then begins a paradigm that will work all the way through the scripture from Genesis to the book of Revelation and that word will show up in the book of Revelation. Now, by the way, notice it says, and the earth was filled with violence. This is a side note, but something I found to be interesting. Notice, first of all, the word filled. And he blessed Adam and said what? Be fruitful and fill the earth, right? Well, they filled it. What did they fill it with? Now, this is what... This is the Hebrew word for violence. That's pronounced Hamas. But let me help you. What's Hamas? This word, Hamas, the Palestinian terrorist organization, actually has a cognate in Arabic where they take the word that means violence in Hebrew and they make it mean something like blessed warrior or bright warrior, splendorous warrior, something like that. But literally it is the word Hamas, the terrorist group. Okay. The earth was destroyed. The earth was filled with violence. What was the earth supposed to be? What was it supposed to be filled with? Yeah. Goodness, love, peace. And there's the word. 
This world was supposed to be where men and women, all descended from Adam and Eve, would have lived together in harmony, and God would have walked amongst all of them. But instead, they have turned this thing completely upside down. They have destroyed the earth and filled it with violence. All right, so this is where we start. A narration of destruction and redemption. Look at the flood. Number one, the earth was destroyed in the sight of God. All flesh had corrupted their way. This is 611. God looked on the earth and behold, it was destroyed. For all flesh had destroyed their way upon the earth. It's the same word used in all of this. So then God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. And behold, I am about to destroy them with what? What does it say? With the earth. With the earth. All right, so now let me start putting this in order. So man has sinned, and he has destroyed the earth. It is filled with violence. So God says, I will destroy them with the very thing that they are destroying. And is that what he does? Yes, it is what he does. But Noah found grace. God tells Noah to build an ark. And so we come to the point where when the flood finally happens, just turn over to 723, chapter 7 and verse 23. Thus God blotted out every living thing that was upon the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things to birds of the sky. They were blotted out from the earth. And only Noah was left together with those that were with him in the ark. All right. So this is what man does. Man destroys the earth. So God says, okay, you destroy the earth, and I will destroy you with the earth and when he does he leaves a remnant the remnant being Noah and his family to start over now we know that Noah unfortunately, sins just like 
Adam. And that his descendants sin like Adam because, unfortunately, we are now into sinful men. The story continues. If this is the pre-Diluvian world, the post-Diluvian world is Israel. Right? Well, what I want to show you is simply, and let me just pick one, doesn't matter where. Um, everybody turn to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Look at verse 25 of Deuteronomy 4. When you become the father of children and children's children and have remained long in the land and act corruptly and make an idol in the form of anything to do that which is evil in the sight of the Lord your God so as to provoke him to anger. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that you will surely perish quickly from the land where you are going over the Jordan to possess it. You shall not live long on it, but will be utterly destroyed. See the word corruptly? That's our word destroyed. When he says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today, when we read that, what you would think is, this is nothing except what kind of language? Well, we would think it's a figure of speech, right? We wouldn't think that this is real, would you? And yet it is. Because if he has already told you at the beginning that there is a direct correlation between man and this ground, this dust, this dirt that he was made from, then Israel is going to have the exact same relationship to this earth. All right, so now let's all think about this for a moment. Adam and Eve before they sinned, lived in a garden where basically they had rest. I mean, whatever Adam had to do to serve the garden, trust me, it was not sweating kind of stuff. When they sinned, they went from rest to hard labor. When we meet Israel we find them under the thumb of Pharaoh who put them to hard labor. So when God redeems them out from Egypt, he takes them to a land of, which means they go from hard labor to, so this is the inversion of the story of Adam. This is a picture again, just like creation, of salvation, of our salvation. 
we go from hard labor and sin to rest. By the way, this is one of the things I find that is most helpful at the mission. Because we've got so many guys down there who will tell you I'm a Christian because I have said some, yeah, some formula, some words. They told me to say these words, I said them, and therefore I'm a believer. So I keep pointing out to them that God in His salvation takes men out of the hard labor of sin and brings them to rest. He actually changes them. Words do not make a believer. What you're looking for is evidence that God is actually at work in the life of this one. And that's when they stop. Some of them will actually come and talk to me after that. The heavens and the earth, this is not metaphorical. This is not figure of speech. This land is a land flowing with milk and honey. It's like the garden. When the land stops producing, when the dirt turns to iron, there's no rain, there's no crops. What Israel should immediately recognize is if that land has stopped being like the, like the garden and become like the wilderness, that there's something wrong with the people on the land. God is doing this deliberately to show you that you are not right before Him. Thus, He promises the former and the latter rains for harvest. But if the former and latter rains do not come and you live in a famine land, you should know that that heaven and earth are witnessing against you. All right, now, having said that, um, uh, this is going to be sort of inverted, but take a look at Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 8. So it's Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, the major prophets. Now, I want you to hear verse 17. Uh, I'm sorry, chapter 8 and verse 17. God says to Ezekiel, 
Do you see this son of man? Is it too light a thing for the house of Judah to commit the abominations which they have committed here? That they have filled the land with what? With Hamas. With violence. By the way, do you hear the language here? What is that? That's Genesis 6, the exact words of Genesis chapter 6. They have filled the land with violence and provoked me repeatedly, for behold, they are putting the twig to their nose. Therefore, I will deal in wrath. My eye will have no pity, nor will I spare. All right, so... Israel comes into the land and proceeds to commit idolatry, proceeds to not keep the law, and they fill the land with violence. Now, here is the point. The point is that he's retelling the story of the flood. And if the flood is what destroys them, what do you think he's going to do to Israel? He's going to destroy them too. They're not exempt. Turn over one chapter. Chapter 9. Look at verse 9. Then God said to me, the iniquity of the house of Israel and Judah is very, very great. The land is filled with blood and the city is full of perversion. For they say, the Lord has forsaken the land. The Lord does not see. We can get away with this. All right, now, notice that I have not yet used the word destroyed the earth or destroyed the land, right? And yet, you have this. They filled it with violence. Israel has filled this with violence. God does not see Israel any different than he saw the descendants of Adam before the flood. They are acting the same they will be treated the same. Now, if you would please, um, Isaiah 24. I'm sorry. Before I go to Isaiah 24, listen to the words of Jeremiah chapter 12, verse 10. Many shepherds have ruined my vineyard. They have trampled down my field. 
They have made my pleasant field a desolate wilderness. It has been made a desolation. Desolate it mourns before me. The whole land has been made desolate because no man lays it to heart. So they have destroyed, I should write this as the land. He understands that what they have done with their sin is exactly what pre-Diluvian man did with their sin. And so now listen to Isaiah 24. Because if this pattern is repeating, God should now be saying, I will destroy you. And that's exactly what we hear. Isaiah 24.1 Behold, the Lord lays the earth waste. Devastates it. Distorts its surface. Scatters its inhabitants. The people will be like the priest, the servant like his master, the maid like her mistress, the buyer like the seller, the lender like the borrower, the creditor like the debtor. The earth will be completely laid waste and completely despoiled, for the Lord has spoken this word. The earth mourns and withers, the world fades and withers. The exalted of the people of the earth fade away. The earth is polluted by its inhabitants, for they transgressed laws, violated statutes, broke the everlasting covenant. Covenant, therefore, and now listen to the word, a curse devours the earth and those who live in it are held guilty. So, God is going to devastate the land of Israel. And these people will reap the reward, if you call this a reward, for their sins. And he even refers to this as, once again, a curse has fallen. Now, I'm going to just finish this this morning, and then we'll do the third part next week. Just like in Noah's time, because he has doomed Israel. Just go all the way now to Isaiah chapter 1. And in Isaiah chapter 1, look at verse 7. Your land is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Your fields, strangers are devouring them in your presence. It is desolation as overthrown by strangers. The daughter of Zion is left like a shelter in a vineyard, like a watchman's hut in a cucumber field, like a besieged city. In other words, 
I have utterly destroyed the land. Now, by the way, he's talking as if, as if this has already happened, but this is 200 years yet in the future. But he's talking as if it's already a fact. And then this. Unless the Lord of hosts had left us a few survivors, a remnant, we would be like Sodom, we would be like Gomorrah. And how many were left in Sodom and Gomorrah? So, I will devastate the earth and I will leave a remnant. All right, by the way, does anybody hear the book of Revelation yet? This is the book of Revelation. That's what I'm telling you. The book of Revelation is nothing except these narratives replayed once again back on the scale of the earth as opposed to the land of Israel. It goes back to this where he devastates the entire land and finally recreates it anew. Questions? Yes? Uh, I thought you said that at the time of the flood, uh, God said, I will never destroy the earth again. I will never destroy the earth with water again. The flood is a time of redemption for Noah. But didn't you say but didn't you say the curse on the ground was lifted? That is correct. The curse on the ground is lifted. But you still see That's what Peter tells you. But we still see later on stories where the earth is being cursed. But he's using that in the sense of what he did there. In other words, this curse falls just on the land of Israel. And the reason that he's talking like that is because he wants to give the idea of them, your land used to look like the garden, but if you sin and I, in effect, curse this ground, what is it now going to look like? It's going to look like that that happened after Adam. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall bring forth food because it will not produce. It will look like the wilderness. Oh, by the way, just so that everybody knows, why does he keep using these two illustrations of either a garden or a wilderness? And it's because he tells you directly in the book of Isaiah, I will not dwell in a land of tohu, and bohu, chaos and lifelessness. I will not dwell in the wilderness. My only place I will dwell is in a garden. And once again, I use that with the guys down at the mission. You see, you either have to bring forth the fruit of the Spirit, you have to look like a garden inside, or God's not there. You look like the wilderness. Your life conforms to the life of 
the world which is devastating the earth. Every time he leaves a remnant, though, it's, it's, um, it's both lines, right? I'm sorry? Both lines. Not here. Only the righteous line of Noah. Unfortunately, out of the righteous line of Noah comes the line of unbelief. And even here, the remnant that he speaks of are the believers. But not all Israel is Israel. Can't he use that as an example? Well, that would be true. But again, his intent here is not all Israel is not Israel. His intent here is he is leaving a remnant. This remnant are the remnant of believers. But it's out of the believers that the remnant or the line of unbelief comes every time. Adam and Eve bear Cain. Noah bears Ham Canaan. Abraham, Sarah bear Ishmael. Isaac, Rebecca, uh, uh, hold it, Isaac, Rebecca bear Esau. Jacob bears 12 sons, and some of them I can't guarantee you are believers. David bears both believers and unbelievers, and the unbelievers, Absalom, tried to kick him out and take his throne. Samuel bears two unbelieving children. Saul, the unbeliever, bears Jonathan, the believer. So it goes both ways. Does he always just curse the earth? He never curses man. I'm sorry? Does he always just curse the earth? He's not man. Well, we are under the, as they put it, the curse of sin, in the sense of we have inherited Adam's sin nature. We died. In the sense of a curse, he is looking at the opposite of what blessed means. You have to think of cursed as the opposite of this. If blessed is, be fruitful, multiply, fill, subdue, rule, cursed is exactly the opposite. And you can see that if you just take the opposite of those five things, that's the wilderness. Blessed is the garden. And then all he does is apply it to what does your life look like? Does it look like? the garden, are you bringing forth fruit, or does it look like the wilderness? Are you bringing forth that which is barren, that which has no life, no eternal life? Now again, once I do this, application is simple. I mean, I'm telling you, this stuff is how Paul applies everything. It's why you actually need to look at the scripture in its narration so that you see how he's teaching these people. The problem was they lived in it. It was right in front of them. The earth went into famine and they still couldn't see it.
They would still deny it, even though the heavens and the earth are both witnessing against them. And then are we shocked that when Christ is right in front of them and they see him doing all this stuff, they can't see him? Shouldn't be. Let's have a word of prayer. We will pick up the third part and show you the book of Revelation is that story next week. Father, we do give you thanks. We do give you praise that you are, as we would put it, the master storyteller. You are the one who narrates who tells your men what to write. And your story is elegant, beautiful, and consistent. Because ultimately your story tells the story of your son. Who will redeem men to the uttermost. Give us grace, Father, that we might see him, and give us more grace that we might be like him. For this is what pleases you and what only pleases you. In Christ's name, amen.